0: okay everyone uh welcome to our next arcs chat my name is robin bauer kilgo um, I'm really excited for today's ARCS chat just because it's something kind of new. Um, this week we've gathered a bunch of colleagues from across emergency and disaster response communities all in celebration of FAIC's annual May Day Prep tradition, which was established by the Society of American Archivists and Heritage Preservation many years ago. So our plans here today is to give you all a taste of just what a virtual tabletop exercise is um, and that you could possibly run at your institution and then answer questions from the audience. But first I'm gonna lay some ground rules for our online uh, virtual event. So you'll be seeing our players around the screen today. You're gonna be hearing quick introductions from them in a few minutes. Um, We will be treating this as a real emergency. That is a key part of this. So please keep that in mind if you decide to do a tabletop yourselves. Um, This is your chance to pull out those improv actor skills you may have learned in in undergrad. So as you see us go through the scenario, you're going to see a lot of people saying kind of yes, and we're going to be agreeing with things and just keep the actual activity going. Scenarios start with a situation many of us deal with. But to make the game more interesting, we'll be putting in these things called injects or actions that will make everyone consider their actions or what they're gonna be doing. Um, To actually announce the injects, we're gonna be having John Robinette, who's one of the ARC's chat hosts actually do it. Um, We're also going to be utilizing all sorts of fun acronyms that's part of emergency planning, right? So you're going to be hearing things like ICS, Incident Command Structure, um, which is the structure we're going to be utilizing today. Also, some other ones thrown out as we do the activity. If you have a question about one of the acronyms, just throw it over in the chat, and we'll be sure to define it later on. Um, what else? We're going to finish up with a debrief and a Q&A afterwards. The actual virtual tabletop is only going to take about 15 to 20 minutes, and then it's Q&A period. So just be aware of that. And as usual, there's a slight delay between our fabulous Zoom call and it being pushed out to YouTube. So just be aware of that. And as we start doing the Q&A, um, there might be a slight delay from when you type things and we answer your question. So without further ado, I'm going to turn off my camera and I'm going to hand this over over to John. Uh, Robinette, who's going to be the narrator for our exercise. Thanks, John, and we'll see you during the Q&A. Hey,
1: everybody. I'm John Robinette. I'm an independent collections manager based in New York, and I am going to go ahead and introduce our panel and have them introduce themselves. Complicated, right? Um, I'm going to start out with uh, Samantha Forsco.
2: Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Samantha Forsco. You might recognize me. I'm the vice president of ARCs. Um, in my day job, I'm the director of collections at the Art Institute of Chicago. But in today's scenario, I will be playing the head of operations.
1: Thank you so much. Uh, Elena?
3: Hello, I'm Elena Gregg. Uh, I'm the emergency programs coordinator for the Foundation for Advancement and Conservation. Uh, and for today's exercise, I will be the head of education.
1: Tara Kennedy?
4: Hi, everyone. I'm Tara Kennedy. I'm the preventive conservator from the Yale University Library. I'm also a member of the National Heritage Responders, which is what I have on my fancy hat. Today, I'll be playing the role of conservator, which I'm used to playing.
1: Thank you. Sam Sinell. Hi,
5: everyone. Um, I'm with the Smithsonian Institution's National Collections Program. Um, I'm also the chair of our Preparedness and Response and Collections Emergencies Team. It's a central emergency response team for the Smithsonian, and also co-chair of the AIC Emergency Committee with Holly Hero.
1: And Holly Hero, talk to us. Mm
6: -hmm. I am a senior conservator at the National Institutes of Health, National Library of Medicine, and the History of Medicine Division. I'm also a member of the NLM, National Library of Medicine's emergency collection team, a member of the AIC National Heritage Responders Working Group, and I co-chair AIC Emergency Committee with Sam Snow.
1: Thank you so much. So um, today we're gonna start our scenario on a Monday morning meeting at the Cavendish County Historic Site. We have an emergency response plan that deals with large scale disasters, but hasn't been tested in over five years. Cavendish County Historic Site has a staff of 10 to 15 employees. Uh, While COVID restrictions are slowly being lifted in certain areas of the museum, there is still limited staff on site. Monday morning meetings start with operations and education uh, on site and collections and executive roles are remote. The grand opening is happening on Tuesday after an abortive reopening back in the fall. Now, I'm going to roll a 20-sided dice and start our scenario.
6: Hi. I want to welcome everybody to the meeting, our regular Monday morning meeting that we have. Let's go around the room, and um, let's talk about what we're doing um, for the past week and for the next upcoming week. Let's start with um, Sam. Hi, everyone. Uh,
5: This is Sam, uh, head of collections. And what I've been doing is I'm touching base with the collection staff to make sure that they're all set for reopening the museum or if there are any last minute concerns. Um, We've been doing sweeps through collection storage and coordinating with conservation for gallery walkthroughs and exhibit modifications that were needed while we were closed. Um, I'm also checking in on conservation's review of some items that just came in for loan. That's it for me. Mm -hmm.
6: Samantha, let's hear what's going on in operations.
2: Yeah, we've been very busy getting ready for reopening.'m I'm, I'm on site today, as you can tell from my uh, HVAC system in the background where I'm taking this call. Um, we're We're doing a lot of um, cleaning, making sure the facilities are very clean right now, and we're also getting our security staff ready to enforce the social distancing and mask mandates that we have. So that's what we our focus
6: is today. And Elena, what's going on in education?
3: Yeah, so I'm checking in with our visitor services associates to see if they're ready for tomorrow. Um, We're also in touch with security and with facilities to make sure that the cleaning schedule is up to date, um, just in advance of visitors arriving on site. And longer term, we're looking into what programs we can have both this spring and this summer. That's all on our end. Thanks, everybody.
1: And now for inject number
2: one. Oh no, I just got a note from one of our uh, facility staff who are doing rounds today. It seems like there's been a leak that's been going on. The um, security guard found uh, some dripping water. It looks like it's in coming from maintenance room 51. Um, he's contacted the facility manager who's turned off the water. Um, And we placed buckets underneath there, but uh, it looks like it's close to
5: collection storage. Samantha, do you know what kind of pipe burst? Was it, you know, a sprinkler? Was it sewage piping? I'm not sure yet. We're still sort of looking at what's going on. I'm, I'm
2: sending staff over there now to get into that mechanical room, see what's going on.
5: Have they checked any of the rooms next door, which, you know, that's collection storage right there, and we want to make sure that none of the collections got lit.
2: It does look like it is near a collection storage room, so I think we might need to to get on that.
5: Okay, well, let us know how we can support, and um, I'll get somebody over there as soon as possible.
6: Okay, I think it's time that we uh, start the incident command protocols that we've talked about in the past. And I'm gonna go ahead and assign roles to everybody. I'll be the incident commander. Sam will be head of collect who's head of collections will head the collections team. Tara will help um, Will oversee salvage team. Samantha will oversee the operations team, and Elena will deal with all communications. Here's some of my initial thoughts. I'll contact the insurance company. Samantha, do a walk through the building with the security staff. Have any of the leaks spread to other areas or other floors beneath. Use the floor plans and ID and document the affected areas. Go ahead and stabilize the environment by checking the temperature, relative humidity, air circulation and collection storage, set up fans, to start circulating the air. Give me, the collections team, head, Sam, and education's Elena an update and findings at the top of each hour. Please direct any media questions to me or Elena, head of education. The question for us to answer is, can we have our rescheduled grand opening on Tuesday? I will report the leak to the rest of the staff and let's move forward.
2: Great, I will get that staff going on the, the round so we can pinpoint where exactly this issue is going. We already have Bob's plumbing on contract, so I will make sure to get in touch with Bob and get him out here ASAP to, to deal with this. I'll report back as soon as I have more information. Do you know
3: Thank if you. water has been restored to the site?
2: Right now it's turned off as we are trying to pinpoint where things are. Um, I don't want there to be more water happening while we're trying to figure out where exactly it's going on. Um, do we need it turned on again? Or should I keep it turned off for now?
3: We'll just have to know for reopening whether. OK, whether it's we'll, we'll get that looked at
2: as soon as we can.
3: Thank you. And
5: we're going to go ahead and work with Samantha for operations and make sure that we get the. Food. The environment stabilized for the collections. I'm going to put together a documentation team to be ready to get on site and document what's been happening um, and get that uploaded into the database as quickly as we can so that we've got the record going. Um, and I'll reach out to conservation and get them to get on site um, and check on the collections and start the salvage team.
3: Sam, if you need extra space to triage collections, let me know. We can work together to identify different event and education spaces. Super, thank you.
1: And now inject number two.
5: So um, I have an update. Conservation is on site and wants to join the call to give us an update on what's going on. So Tara, can you give us an update for the group?
4: Yes, yeah, so I did enter the collection storage area that was adjacent to where the pipe burst, and the leak has trickled down into one range. And I'm going to just uh, take a look and see if anything um, was damaged, because I know that's where some of our priority loaned objects are. Um, right now it's wet and humid. so. Um, but luckily it seems to be confined to only one range in the collection storage, thank goodness. So um, I'm gonna go check that out with uh, my technician and I will let you know uh, what we find and get back to y'all. Do
2: you need some Great. more fans, Tara? You need some fans and dehumidifiers? Let me get some staff over to you with some fans and dehumidifiers. I'll test them right now.
4: Yes, please. All right, I'll be back.
6: What is an update on the um, one facilities, um, Samantha? Any damage to any other areas? Do you know yet?
2: It looks confined
6: to to this mechanical room and the the
2: room below it, which does, as Tara mentioned, look to be collection storage. It does seem like we've pinpointed where exactly it's happening from, though, which is great news. So we'll we'll work on getting that. It does seem like it's just that area though.
6: Great. Thank you.
1: And now inject number three.
2: I have more bad news, guys. I just heard back from Bob's Plumbing, and they are busy right now. They can't send anybody uh, out to out to our site today. I know that's who we had on our MOU. So, um, what would you like me to
6: do, Polly? Um, please find an alternate plumber. And Elena, at this point, I think it's time to um, start working on a, a statement about our facilities open opening, grand reopening. Can you do that please
3: yes i'll prepare a statement for both social media and for the local news network thank you and uh tara
5: are you back on the line with us yes i'm here so
4: i took a look and um it seems that as i mentioned the the range it's only the one range and it looks like it's a series of about 10 archival boxes that got wet And some frame pieces, including this one piece that I'll I'll share the screen here so y'all can see and you all see there's a there's some water that basically it got to the bottom of the piece and then it started to trickle up into the piece. So I unframed it to let it dry. So there's this. So I'll write up a condition report for this item if you um, and then we can share that um, with the institution so that they're aware that one of their objects accidentally got wet. And Sam F for the dehumidifiers, we definitely need that because our data loggers are reading above 65% RH. And I am concerned about mold if we can't get this down within the next couple of days. So um, yeah,
2: let, let me see if we can move one of them that we have in another room. I, we can, we can do some shuffling, get, get you some more over there okay cool awesome
4: maybe even the plumbers if if we can find an, um a plum they've been like some of the offsite people can bring some if they have anything to be willing to do that but um it seems like it's like it's definitely contained the water's slowing down in that area so i threw a tarp over there so there won't be any more wet um any more water falling onto that range so i will start looking through our supplies and getting new boxes for our archives the archival stuff that got wet because luckily the boxes kept every, all the contents from being wet. So that was a really good save. But unfortunately, about this is unfortunate about the one thing that we loaned that got loaned from another institution. So I hate to have you have to tell um, that institution, Sam, but hopefully uh, we can work out something with them and maybe insurance to cover the costs of having it treated.
5: Yeah, thanks for that update. And um, yeah, it's too bad to hear about that loan item, but um, let me work with Holly to um, get a statement together to send to um, that lender and, Mm -hmm. um, we'll start communication with them as soon as possible. If you have any, you know, photos that you can share or, um, the condition report, you know, even just the initial one, that would be great to be able to share with them as well.
4: Yeah. I'll send you the picture that I showed you there. And, um, once I finish the condition report, I'll send that to you as well.
5: Perfect. Thank you.
4: Yeah,
5: sure.
6: Okay. It's one hour later. Let's, um, talk through some next, let's talk, let's talk through some of our next steps from each team member. Let's start with Samantha in operations.
2: I have some good news. Though Bob is not available, I was able to reach out to Ralph's Plumbing. They'll be on site in one hour, and uh, they're optimistic that they'll be able to repair the leak from the description I was able to provide. So I anticipate we'll get that um, fixed up here by the end of the
6: day. Thank you. Sam.
5: Uh, So, um, Holly, thanks for looking over those documents for our loaning institution. Um, I got that out to them. And Tara, thanks for the updates to include with the photos and the condition report. That was really helpful. Um, And I also uh, contacted our insurance um, to give them a heads up about what's going on and start that process as well um, for the documentation. And um, Tara, do you have any updates from conservation and next steps for us?
4: So, um, thanks for the dehumidifier sound. That really is like bringing the RH down. I'm trying to, um, excuse me, I'm trying to not make it too dry in the space, um, because I don't want any composite objects to get, uh, um, warped or anything like that since we have to we have to bring it down to a reasonable level. So that's actually not going to be conducive to mold. So I think we're good with that. We have started to do some cleanup with our wet backs from the floor and that's gonna help with reducing the relative humidity as well. And um, we're gonna rehouse the collections that did get wet. Luckily we just have to replace the boxes and we'll see what we can do about the one object depending on what the institution wants to do. Since it's paper, that's something we can actually treat in house. So if they were willing to want to do that, we can do that if we, unless the insurance company wants to pay to have it outsourced for treatment. So it'll depend on what the insurance company says since water coverage can be a little dodgy sometimes. So but that's, looks unless like- edu- we get things under control. So,
6: yeah. Thank you. Tara. And lastly, education and Lena, um, a statement for um, social media and the press?
3: Yeah, so I prepared the following statement. Um, The Cavendish County historic site suffered a burst pipe early Sunday morning and will remain closed until the extent of damage is understood. Staff will provide another update later this afternoon. Um, So I'm going to share that immediately with social media and with our social media and then with local news networks. um, And then we can create something more detailed for a future press release later on.
6: Thank you. And thanks to everybody, um, done a great job. So we know that the plumber's en route and will fix the leak. Press release is um, being sent, Insur- insurance company and the loaning institutions have been contacted, and damage assessment is complete. Um, wonderful job. Um, we will hear further updates and- in the next hour or so. Thank you, everybody.
1: And this concludes our scenario. <laughs> Thanks, everybody.
0: Good job, everyone! Fantastic.
1: Nobody broke character.
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs> One thing I do want to point out before we get into the Q and A period is, um, obviously, we all are from different locations, right? Like I'm down in Florida. I know Elena's in D.C. Samantha Forsco is up in Chicago. Uh, Sam Snell, I think, is D.C. area as well. Holly, where are you located out of? I'm trying to remember maryland maryland tara's up in the northeast too uh robinette's in new york um you know usually we think about these tabletops happening on site at our location but you can run them from all over and i think it's quite fun to kind of see working with different minds and seeing what different people do Um, it's important to kind of see how people react to emergency situations so we're going to go ahead and start the Q&A and the chat like we usually do. I'll be keeping an eye on the chat for the YouTube. Uh, please sign into your Google or Gmail account so we can keep attention and you can actually talk along with us. But I think we have an area to start with right now. All right, John?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk. I do want to get to the the virtual aspect of this uh, eventually, but I do want to kind of go uh, back to the beginning of our of our tabletop and discuss um, the ICS, the Incident Command Structure that uh, was immediately implemented uh, upon the discovery of the emergency. Um, Is that the only way of uh, responding to an emergency or uh, maybe better put, uh, what are other ways that uh, you can organize your emergency response? And this was for, I think, Samantha Snell.
5: Thanks, John. Uh, Yeah, ICS, um, you know, I'm with the Smithsonian and at DSI, ICS is implemented at the unit, you know, or museum level, as well as the central SI wide level. Um, It's a valuable tool to utilize during trainings and small emergencies, so that when you need to scale up for large scale emergencies, it can be implemented really easily. And the structure that Robin shared on the screen was a very pared down version. Um, It can get quite complex and fill up multiple pages um, to have a full ICS structure. But but again, practicing it on a regular basis for trainings and small emergencies, you know, really helps in the long run. Um, And at the Smithsonian, we're fortunate to have a central office of emergency management that organizes our central emergency operations center or EOC. And that provides guidance to the museum level EOCs. Um, And the structure of these EOCs is based on FEMA's emergency support functions. Um, For example, for my office, you know, for National Collections Program, we're the cultural heritage unit and we're ESF4, Emergency Support Function 4, which in non-Smithsonian world are the firefighters, which is appropriate because often collections are the firefighters that we're the ones that Report on site where the you know the boots on the ground to get things done and always prepared. Um, so those are you know they're similar, but they're just different labels. Um, but you can implement them and utilize them often for training and again those small to large scale emergencies.
1: Thank you so much, um, Robin. Uh, what's going on? Any, anything in the chat happening yet?
0: Yeah, we have a question already. It says this looks like a great model to present a tabletop to our museum team. I would like to know how thorough your script was and how much was improvised.
1: <laughs> well, i mean this is pretty much saturday night live here if- right. oh
0: yeah like, <laughs> all off the cuff um i can take that one a little bit just because i helped kind of design it um it's i like to call it an enhanced outline so i basically had we had points that we wanted to hit during it the injects were definitely written out but the main things you need for this kind of an exercise is um you need a scenario so you got to pick you know what what disaster is going to happen at your institution um a lot of people will knee jerk and just say hurricane wildfire like they like to go for the big ones right because they're more exciting and sexier or whatever um we decided to purposely do one which was a plumbing leak because that can happen anywhere um most institutions have pipes going through their their area sometimes directly through the collection storage which is always exciting when you see that and i know i've seen it multiple times
1: so don't be like that's what everyone thinks is oh wow this is exciting collection storage
0: (laughs) exactly but i don't want people to feel um Ashamed, I guess, if they have that in their institution, because like I've seen it a lot and sometimes you have what you have right like you got to deal with your your world. So we purposely picked a lower scale one just because we wanted to talk about how you would handle it. Um, and beyond that, we wrote out the injections, but beyond hitting some points, we kind of let everyone run with it to kind of see how they would react to the situation. So. Um, you know, it kind of depends on, on the, the level of your actors and kind of how people are going to be reacting within the uh, scenario itself.
1: So yeah, we could have taken this in many different directions, right? We could have uh, not only done plumbing leaks, but you know, uh, maybe small fires and things like that. But or we could have uh, done other versions, other injects of the of the leak uh, in order to uh, make it even more chaotic. Maybe we couldn't get a second plumber. Maybe we had to go to the third and fourth choice, and and all of this. But uh, maybe it also points out um, the fact that maybe you don't have third and fourth choice plumbers, uh, and so you you need to have those things. So um, uh, anything else going on in the chat that we should uh, take note of?
0: We have our uh, fellow co-host, Amanda, who couldn't be here today just because of a scheduling conflict. Uh, she says, what are some unique emergency experiences others have had at their institutions? So shall we, <laughs> shall we spill tea and talk about <laughs> what kind mm-hmm. of emergencies people have dealt with at their institutions, generally speaking? And this happens, again, to everyone,
2: so it's not in the shame type thing.
0: Anyone want to go first?
2: I have an interesting one that's kind of weird. Uh, We did a similar exercise like this when I was previously at the Los Angeles County Museum of Arts. You would think we're in LA, we're going to do earthquakes, right? But we we didn't. We actually did a heavy rainstorm, um, which is pretty uncommon in LA, but that's all the more reason why we should do it because we weren't as prepared. Something that was really interesting that we kind of learned through this discussion was the Los Angeles County Museum of Art is right next to the La Brea Tar Pits. And actually during a heavy rain, the tar can rise up and would flow in. So that was a kind of something that else that was unexpected that we kind of discovered through this project and were able to, there are, there are, pu- No, no worries anybody. Los Angeles County Museum Bard is all set now. We've got pumps in place and everything is good to go there. But um, that's sort of an example how you might want to think about maybe the less common sort of thing so that you can kind of get into some of these other topics that might happen.
1: Anyone else want to chime in?
6: Um, When I used to work, well, let's see, back in the early 90s, I actually, um, I used to work in the Virginia Historical Society and we went through a major renovation, doubling the size of the building. And statistically, it's during renovations that a lot of emergencies take place. So that um, talk that I gave, we wrote a paper about what happened, um, it's kind of lessons learned. And that's available if you Google the AIC um, okay. And the name of our talk was Midnight in the Garden of Soggy and Damp. And that was because that movie had just come out. And it was um, New Year's Eve, and the Historical Society was closed for the day. But a water suppression pipe burst when an outside air vent, um, and there was a, an electrical error, a mechanical error, and the outside air vent opened that night. It was eight degrees. It froze the water suppression pipe at 11 a.m. Society was closed. The pipe thawed. 300 gallons per minute started pumping into the building. It was the mezzanine level. And we traced how it, in the article that we wrote, we traced how the water flowed through the building and all the collections that were affected. Our emergency plan was a a working, (coughs) excuse me, sinuses, too much pollen a work in progress and um, it was not available. So we kind of remembered pieces and parts of it. And we called on our fellow conservators who came and helped. And the reason why I interjected the thing about the media is because the media was banging at our door um, because they heard about what was going on somehow. So you wanna keep the media at bay because some of the most valuable collections for the society had been affected. George Washington letters, Thomas Jefferson, that kind of thing. So um, you should also learn from others, lessons learned. Go ahead and look up the articles that AIC that year, it was 2002, 2000, no, 1992, 1993. That whole meeting was devoted to emergency response. And then there was another one that we had, Elena, how many years ago three or four that was all emergency response focus yeah look up the the papers that were given from that um, as a result of that meeting
1: thank you that's pretty pretty frightening <laughs> um, anyone else want to share something or shall i go on to the next
3: yeah I'll, I'll I was going say, good. everyone's
1: going to have a
0: story. So let's just this is keep good.
1: Well, it, it's not that, do you have one? It's That's like, what, what do I feel comfortable spilling?
3: Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
0: Go ahead, guys. Go ahead, Elena. Do you have one?
3: Oh, I was just going to say, um, we had a tabletop virtual exercise with two of the, with the Atlanta and the Savannah, Georgia Alliance for Response Networks back in February. And it was really beneficial, like outside of the institutional lens um, to see who in your region has what expertise. Um, and just to see, like from the institutional perspective, to know like there are people within the state and federal emergency management personnel sectors that can weigh in and advise you on what you know different policies and procedures have been updated that might affect cultural heritage. Um, so just taking it from like a broader lens, it's interesting to get those um, points of views incorporated when you want to do a tabletop. Just a little side
5: note. <laughs> And if i could just build really quickly on elena's comments you know training across disciplines and across specialties is really key so you know also at the smithsonian through the price team uh, you know we do trainings and workshops for folks you know now virtually but we used to do them in person for water salvage and also fire salvage and we have people from you know not just collections conservation registration but also from facilities, from security, from our IT departments, from our health and safety departments, because you never know who is going to be around when an emergency happens. And learning through the lens of where other people are coming from, from their priority, from where they sit for that emergency, really helps you become a better collection steward in your day-to-day, but also in building those relationships with those folks That, you know, we try to teach that everybody's a collection steward, regardless of their title, department, or specialty. And we hold that true in our trainings and workshops. And it's so vital to make those relationships and and build those bridges in the good times so that when the emergency, not if, but when the emergencies happen, you've already built those relationships and can call, you know, Joe Schmo over there. And, oh, yeah, I remember when we were in the workshop together. Yes, let me come and help you with this.
1: So that's that's key. Hey Sam, can we can we build on that? And this is open to everybody. Someone uh, did write into the chat. They were wondering how do you determine who participates in the the tabletop exercises amongst your staff? Um, it's sort of along the lines of what you're just discussing. Uh, maybe we can elaborate further.
5: Everyone.
2: Yeah, I'm but. definitely on the on the all all hands as many as you can get going, and you don't have to necessarily something I've done in the past too is we'll have like the collections conservator facility staff talking about that, you know their activities, but then also you know the communications people might be having their own separate meeting going on too at the same time they come up and meet and share the information together. So you might be able to even segment it the same disasters happening, but you have different people working on different aspects of it. All of them are important, um, but, you know, you can, you can, this really should be everybody. That's basically the the end of that is it doesn't, if, even if you think it doesn't relate to you, there's parts of it that will, and by going through it, you, you'll kind of get a better idea of what those are going to be.
4: And it's why it's so important to have a structure, something like ICS, because yeah, while well, everyone everyone wants to be involved, it's very important that people have assigned roles and responsibilities so that they know what they should be doing because I've participated in many emergencies where everyone wants to help, but helping without that structure can quickly turn into chaos. So, it's something that's super important to keep in mind is having it doesn't have to be ICS, but it needs to be something where there are teams, there are leaders, there are people whose instructions you should follow. I think that's really critical in an emergency.
5: It,
2: it might also be helpful to try a tabletop without the head people around, too. That, because that's, yeah, that's my favorite. That's when the disaster's happening. It's happening while the executive director is on their vacation in, you know. Fiji, that's when the disaster is happening. So it's can be really helpful to to do them kind of both ways, right? With everybody missing some key people, the more the the more disaster planning and and scenarios you can do, the better, the more prepared you'll be.
0: That's my favorite thing to do. And I've run and you guys know me from arcs and arcs all these things. But in other life, I do a lot of emergency planning and disaster response and virtual tabletops and tabletops. And one of my favorite things to do during tabletops is figuring out who the alpha dogs are at the table and taking them out early on, basically saying, like, sorry, you're not here because it'll make people kind of relook at the structure of their plan and go like well wait we do need a backup in this area wait that person does need to have information on this so it's kind of like a fun way to upset the system a little bit and see how uh, people would react to a disaster situation and we all know who the alpha dogs are at the table so like it's easy to kind of sit there and be like sorry your car got stuck you're not here you get to observe you know what i mean and then that's what their role is for the rest of the actual emergency
1: so i'm gonna uh Elaborate on that in, in two different ways. First, um, do you set up a, is, th- is part of the ICS, a chain of command so that, you know, who, yeah. Who fills what role. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. Um,
0: does anyone want to explain that a little bit? Just cause you know, that fun world.
1: Well, you- I know
5: it's also going to say, you know, not only chain of command, but also lines of communication to make sure that there's the handoff because not, none of us are robots. Um, and can work 24 seven. So there's always going to be trade-offs of, you know, different teams coming in at different times, because when an emergency is happening and you're responding to it, the last thing that you want is to have people get hurt because when you have a stressful situation, you know, putting people into it, they're going to get tired more quickly. They're not going to be taking as many breaks as they should, and you're going to have to trade people out. So you have to make sure that those lines of communication are really well planned and clearly defined so that you know person 1 is talking to 2 and 3 but then you know when the, they come down the line that the same communication is being transferred to the right teams at the right time and it's not another person coming in from the side you know giving their own opinion about it that's not helpful you need to say you're not the one I'm supposed to be getting instructions from it's this team leader so i hear what you're saying but i need to follow the instructions that i received from this chain that
2: I was part of, and I think that's something that they that is really dealt with in the ICS structure um, is you know you only take orders and you only give orders in a specific direction. Um, I know I've probably referenced this, and if people don't have this resource already, but the implementing the incident command system at the institutional level by David Carmichael, it really does a awesome job at explaining chain of command and kind of all of that good stuff, explaining how it's not meant to um, suppress communication. You can still talk with other people, but you're only taking and giving orders in a very prescribed way. Robin, maybe you can put the title in the chat for people on that book. I just did. And the oh, link. Good. Perfect. So, yeah.
1: my my last ICS question is, um, do you follow that as a model? F- like I'm, I'm assuming for, so, so at Cavendish County historic site, it's pretty easy because we only have about 15 employees, but uh, for the Smithsonian, you're probably not going to have all thousand or plus employees on the same day doing it. So do you use the ICS as a way to subdivide your tabletop exercises. Uh, how does that work for larger institutions?
5: Well, that's where we have the ESF structure, the emergency support functions, and you know, those emergency operation centers that get stood up either at the museum or the institution wide level, and then it trickles down from there. Um, and then people, you know, within that ESF four, like we are, you know, the price team would reach out to the unit level and say, Hey, you know, what support do you need? These are the resources that we have to offer. You know, our team is not designed to show up and fix things. We're designed to support and provide the help because the museums and the units know their, their situation and their collections best. We just can come in with the support and the guidance that they might need once they identify what those needs are.
1: Great. Um, so Robin, what's going on in the chat? Any other uh, questions that we can get to?
0: Uh, we're just trading stories right now in the chat. Just people
1: talking about various <laughs> things,
0: which is always fun. Anything um, good? <laughs> <laughs> not so far. It's hard. I know it's a little scary to talk about those situations because you don't want to. Like I know, and I know some of the places I've worked at since they've been in like the middle of nowhere, we've dealt with wild animals coming in, uh, dealing with you know all sorts of crazy things. So it's it's kind of you know you you think through your experience and how you react is always important. Um, another person that posted is Becca Kennedy, who many of us know, who's great within this field. If you have any questions, refer to her, please. No understand.
1: relation to Tara. No, no relation. relation. That we know what? of.
0: Exactly. She had asked about what is the best way to end a scenario tabletop training. So obviously during our little scenario, we kind of said and scene um, or a version of it, but what would be the best action do you all think after you kind of end one of these scenarios? What have you done within your institutions?
5: Giving out um, homework, you know, just saying, please share out what you learned today with your colleagues that weren't able to be here today. Because, you know, once you start spreading those little acorns all over the place and sharing that knowledge, then it really benefits everything down the line. You know, it has a positive ripple effect. And also specific assignments, you know, do you have a collections emergency cart in your area? Where is it? When's the last time it's been inventoried? you know, simple steps that you can take that will benefit you when a disaster does happen or an emergency happens, you can have those things set up already. But I think having assignments specifically or generally sent out to people is really beneficial.
2: Something I've uh, kind of learned from my colleagues in the emergency management world, something they they do often is they have kind of two different debriefs. And I'm going to use their terminology because I think it's funny. They call the one right after the um, emergency a hot wash. So you're doing the hot, everything's still like fresh in your brain and you kind of write down all of the main takeaways from it. Um, but then you also want to do a cold wash later. So you'll wait like a day and after you've thought about it, what were some of the um main takeaways from it. So it might be good to sort of structure your your washes as as they, they might be. Um, and then as Sam was kind of mentioning, making specific to-dos based on those, that the feedback from it. So I, I love the idea of the two, you know, right away, what are your initial thoughts? And then once you've slept on it overnight, what did you think about that went well or didn't go well. You should also talk about what went well, too. And that's a, I, I know we're often, we're so perfectionists here. We're always nitpicking, right? But I think some things like in our disaster went really well, we, we were able to get that second plumber, right? So you want to make sure that you also talk about the successes um, while you're also talking about the, the things you could improve on.
3: Yeah. And then then in addition to a follow-up, having like trying to incorporate it into your yearly training schedule um, so that, you know, you revisit themes and can say, oh, shoot, we didn't tackle this last year. We really need to prioritize it this year um, just to keep it front of mind. And it's especially helpful if you do it outside of your like main disaster season. Um, So if you're in the South, it's probably hurricane season. So doing it anywhere between, you know, November to May is helpful just so you're not in it while you're in it. Um, but yeah, just making that part of your training schedule is a good step.
1: And, and anyone out there who's, uh, listening and has other, um, other input on how they do it at their institution, please share it in the chat. We want to hear from you because the, the chat lives on with the video and we can all reference it as we uh, rewatch this and also the panelists can, can see it. So please uh, don't uh, hesitate to share. Um, Robin, any other, uh, questions going on in the chat?
0: Actually, one just popped up. It says, uh, my top goal for this year is to write an emergency plan for the private personal collection and photography archive I work for. Any recommendations on how to start?
2: I've got a good one. You should start with a risk assessment. And the emergency uh, planning subcommittee of ARCS recently put out a uh, guide on how to do risk assessments. So you should check that out. Continue.
1: (laughs) Great, We're, we'll put a, a, a link to that as well. Um, any other, Anyone else wanna add? Any other people working for private collections that also have uh, interesting um, feedback, please uh, add it to the chat, that would be great. Um, so I want to I want to go back to this idea of doing uh, the virtual versus the in-person tabletop. Um, I imagine some version of the virtuals around pre-pandemic, um, but certainly I would think the the pandemic has uh, has made it pretty much commonplace, uh, at least on some level. Can anyone speak to uh, how we the evolution of the virtual tabletop exercise and uh, is it here to stay? Um, so throw that out there
5: i mean what we're talking about moving forward for our workshops um, for the si for collection staff and and you know all staff is to have a hybrid you know because there's a lot of value in covering a lot of information through virtual um tabletops and lessons and modules and things like that and really utilizing that in-person time for the really specific hands-on training opportunities um, as opposed to like what we used to do in the past for workshops is we'd have a couple days of, you know, one and a half days almost was spent on presentations and then, you know, there was a half day for the actual hands on portion. And it's hard for people to be able to devote that much time for training like that. So if we have a hybrid version that we can share out a lot of information and presentations virtually and have those discussions beforehand and really keep more precious that time for the hands on and keep it more um, concentrated, is something that we're talking about internally.
1: Was anyone here doing them pre-pandemic or even a hybrid, some sort of mix of virtual and tabletop exercises? No? All right, so this is really a brand new thing. All right, right, so what are the keys to having a successful virtual tabletop exercise? Assuming we did it successfully. Think good so. internet connection.
3: Yeah, good. <laughs> um, Keeping your, I think for the, for a virtual tabletop, it's good to have a smaller group, no more than 10 ish people, just so that people feel like they can be actively involved in participating. Um, otherwise I feel like it gets a little intimidating and a little chaotic. Um, so yeah, just having maybe multiple for a bigger institution, um, multiple of smaller groups
1: anyone else want to add to that?
2: I think it's important. um, I mean, this, I would, I would say this also for an in-person one, but don't, I would, don't make the scenario too big and overwhelming. And I think that's especially true with this virtual side of things, because it's going to be weird and awkward. Um, So I think that that, you know, sort of, especially is true. We, We did our injects on this. They were really sort of simple injects. We didn't have like, and then the executive director uh, was nine months pregnant and was giving birth. And, you know, don't like, get too wild with it. You know, keep them sort of reined, reined in and small and manageable. Right. So that's that's my advice for in person. But I think that it's even more important in this virtual setting because there, there is just so much so much that could happen in this virtual setting that it is important to keep it manageable and small
1: is part of is part of your planning in terms of the scenarios and the injects has that changed because of the pandemic and what i'm thinking of when i say that is the idea that there's fewer staff on site um is that um is that something you were kind of always prepared for say you know for a weekend versus a weekday or is this something new
2: So, I mean, I I already mentioned, too, I always like to throw out the uh, most important people at the top and pretend that they're not there. I I have always sort of like to structure my um, trainings around assuming it's going to be in the middle of the night or on the weekend, you know, because that's when they happen. Um, So I actually think that it hasn't changed that much, in in my opinion, um, because I've always sort of assuming we're at zero and how are we going to get people back on site um, I'm not sure if anybody else has more uh, insight into that, but that's always been a bit how I've structured them anyway.
0: i I know we said to avoid large care large scenarios, but I'm in South Florida. We talk about hurricanes like all the time. So a lot of the scenarios I've run have been hurricanes and um or just talking through them. And that always involves someone not being able to get to the institution, someone not being able to have phone line, someone, you know, all those kind of things. So, Um, Same holds true for wildfires and stuff. So I think some of the scenarios um, had some of that COVID pandemic stuff built in, but it was only like when we were within it, we were like, oh wait, we can kind of heighten the fact that there's probably less staff. Um, All those elements are happening. The other feature I want to point out real quick that with Zoom, because we live in a Zoom world and I'm sure Microsoft Teams has it and stuff like that, you have all those breakout features. So if you want to, you can suck people away from the main room and do the old school like, we're broken up into our teams, go back in, or you know, we can we can segment out teams and make it so that less people are talking within the main structure. So that's something to think about too, which is a nice feature of this. Anyone else have any scenarios that they could think of where it was like staff weren't there or anything else that's kind of pulled over from pre-pandemic world to current whatever we're in now? I don't know what we call it now, post kinda pandemic
4: world. <laughs> Still trucking along. I don't know. Well, I've had to respond to several emergencies during the pandemic um, and like in the middle of it, in the height of it. And it was it really um, brought to life the importance of keeping your emergencies, your emergency plan up to date, um, because we found a lot of holes that way. Um, Simply no one was on site. I think I was the only one with security and I had to I mean, I had to dig out supplies from an NHR kit in order to go like an N95 respirator because it was mold. Um, There was a bad mold outbreak in our audio, in our uh, historic sound collection from a very long, long leak that someone finally found. And trying to contact things like vendors who weren't closed because the recovery process for something like audiovisual materials was incredibly complicated and not something we could do in house. So it really brought to light of a lot of things where, wh- like thinking about scenarios where everything is closed, you can't get like Bob's plumbing not being available, like which of the audiovisual recovery vendors would be open. Luckily, there was one that was open, but then I had to do things like ship things to my house instead of shipping it to the to the library because I needed the tubs to pack the tubs to send them to the audiovisual um, vendors. There's just a lot of different um, details that you don't know until you're actually in it. So that particular emergency, the one there was a flood in our library, that was another one that I had to do and that was a much larger scale emergency, but more regular because it was books. So something I'm used to rather than
1: audiovisual tapes. Um, is shipping to your house part of your emergency plan?
4: <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> but it was there was the whole library was closed. So I was like, okay, ship the tubs to my house and I'll take the tubs to the library and pack them and send them. Yeah, that is not part of the emergency plan.
1: <laughs> I guess that's part of the improvisation that that goes on.
4: Yeah, so this is where my um, fe- past improv classes and acting classes have come in handy.
1: <laughs>
6: I can pivot really well. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> another thing that oh, sorry. Go ahead, Holly.
6: Another thing that we've done uh, because in planning, if we had an event during the closure was to have the facility staff do a walkthrough with their phone and record what's going on inside the building. And that would be shared or sorry, saved on the server. And then multiple people could access that um, video that was done by facilities. And then we would work from that video.
1: Was that something, is that something that people would were required to, to review, or is that sort of like security closed caption thing where, uh, you only review it after the fact, if there's a problem.
6: Uh, It would have been reviewed right away, and in other words, um, the security staff um, would have notified the facility staff that there was a leak, kind of what the scenario, typical to what happened today in that scenario that we did. Mm -hmm. And so, our library management had determined that NIH would not allow us to come on campus even for something such as this, so how can we solve the problem? Um, remotely. And that was the solution, was to have the facility, um, facility staff record what's going on in the building and to then send it out to library management, to the collections emergency team, and then we would respond virtually, telling facilities how to proceed. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was one thing I forgot to
4: mention. One thing that we did before the closing was myself and my boss in the conservation department, the preservation department. We got critical function employee IDs. Holly made me think of it, um, so that in this scenario we would be allowed on campus because we already had permission. So we like literally got those I- IDs. I think just before they abs- they closed the university. So if you're able to get something like that while um, you know while things are open, it's and have some staff that are able to be on site. Is considered critical function. Do it because it will help make things easier when you when things like this happen. You'll be able to get access if you need to.
5: And to build on that, also, you know, if you can um, have the ability to re- remotely access your collections database um, to set that up as soon as possible, um, because that was critical um, in 2010 at the Garber facility at Air and Space where I worked in Suitland, Maryland. We lost one of our buildings to um, 33 inches of snow and high winds and, you know, got a call at my house at quarter seven in the morning that somebody might want to come here because something's happening and your roof caved in. Um, So, you know, I immediately got onto our remote access to our database and got on the phone with our registrar and started, okay, so what's in this building? Where is it located? You know, where are the most critical items? Where are the high priorities? you know, and started mapping it out from that database, you know, and trying to gather that information so that once we were allowed back on site, which was not immediately, um, we could have a plan of where we were gonna go when and coordinate with the, you know, construction company that came to support the structure itself so we can go in and do salvage. Um, But that was, that was key to be able to have access to that database.
1: Thank you so much, um, Robin. To build on what Sam was. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead.
6: To build on what Sam was saying, um, now I lost my thought. Um, Sorry, I'll think of it maybe in a minute.
1: Okay, no problem. Uh, I was just going to see if uh, Robin saw any more uh, responses in the chat.
0: Um, we do have one again from Becca who's, who always comes up with such good questions, just to let people kind of relay information. It's how often should you do tabletop exercises? One a year, more until everything is covered. Um, it's good to do at least one, one a year. I mean, in my opinion, what do you guys think? It's always fun, especially if you have a newly minted plan. It's a good way to kind of figure out if there's holes or issues with your plan. Um, what do you guys think for frequency?
3: You can say stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think that's reasonable. <laughs> you
5: know, and I mean, also considering that, you know, you you want it to be a, a positive for folks mm-hmm. and they do have like their regular roles and responsibilities of work and, you know, home and family and other outside of work lives and things like that. So to be able to balance, you know, the the demands of responsibilities and things with regular work and making this a positive training environment, you know, you don't want it to be too much that people are like, oh man, again, you know, so, you know, probably quarterly would be amazing, but that's probably too much to ask of some people with their schedules, um, or just do it on a rotation. Like, okay, team A is going to take it, you know, in the spring and team B will take it in the fall and then we'll, you know, keep switching things around so that they can still compare notes, um, you know, on what the training was, but yeah, at least once a year, but four times is probably too many.
2: Yeah, I was I was gonna say I oh like I pushed for everyone to do just one just one a year because I know that's that's a lot uh, for a lot of institutions and I think our Cavendish uh, historical site probably would be looking at doing it about once a year with that kind of staff. Um, so that would be I understand that it's hard to do and I I love the idea that Sam just mentioned about breaking up into smaller groups and and kind of rotating it through that. Um, You know, even if you can't get yourself to do a tabletop exercise once a year, do something once a year, right? Like look at the, the contact list and update it Do do something once a year at the minimum, if you can do more, that's best.
1: I would imagine like, so, um, the, so you, you do one a year, you just did it. And a week later, um, you had, you had to lay off a couple of people for whatever reason. And then now all of a sudden you have a change in staff and a change in protocol. Um, and so how do you adapt to, to these situations or, you know, maybe, maybe someone left and then, you know, you replace them and then, you know, you're, you're another nine months out before your scheduled situation. Uh, so, I mean, is it, is it a case where you like, you present them with the the plan and the materials you walk through it with somebody as just part of the onboarding process or, um, is that how, how do you uh, accommodate that
6: We are living through that scenario right now um, the preservation staff that have been in place for 10 to 20 years is now all virtually retired uh, literally retired um, mm-hmm. and so there are now at NLM very very few people that have ever been through an emergency situation so we, and we're starting renovation in the building. So we are doing virtual tabletops now. And for the first time ever at NLM, starting the ICS system, putting that in place. So there's a lot, when there's a situation like this, it allows you to introduce new things like the ICS um, command system. and it's going along quite well because the new folks to the staff are realizing, wow, um, at first they thought, oh, we don't need this. We, why are we doing this? This is a waste. But as we were going through the various tabletops, they were like, whoa. And I introduced to them the book that's been written that um, Samantha mentioned. And um, they've now realized that the book had already been purchased and was in the collection. They're all reading it. Um, so it's kind of mushroomed, it's growing. And now the the staff wants training and I've been told to create virtual training sessions, which are starting. I've given the staff homework, virtual homework for emergency response that they are starting to, to take in the next few weeks. So think of it as an opportunity and figure out how to move forward from there.
1: Great. Thank you. I actually I could keep going all day. I have a million questions. And um, but I realize this is probably not the the place to do a full blown emergency response webinar. But um, uh, Robin, one last uh, look at the chat. Any last questions before we wrap it up?
0: Not right now, but we want to make sure to um, let people plug different types of programs they're part of. We want to make sure that if you're doing anything with emergency preparedness or anything, you use the hashtag that's been established by FAIC. Elena, do you want to talk a little bit about that?
3: Sure. Yeah. This year, we're doing um, a prize giveaway for people that are involved in any sort of emergency activities during the month of May. Um, So I can send out, I don't have the link on hand, um, but... I can send out a link to the survey monkey where you'll just tell us one activity that your institution has done to better your emergency preparedness. Um, And we will be selecting winners probably early June. Uh, We'll also be doing, uh, Robin is actually coordinating a webinar May 19th um, on emergency kits and Samantha Snott, you're also presenting in it. Um, So yeah, a bunch of activities happening this month and uh, excited for people to get their emergency preparedness on deck.
2: I also just want to plug our the ARCS Emergency uh, Planning Subcommittee. Hopefully you all saw the ARCS update today, which was emergency themed, um, very on topic. Um We're very busy putting out lots and lots of resources. So if you're looking for an activity to maybe submit to the FAIC program, we've got all sorts of suggestions on um, our our resource page, which uh, I think was linked to already with the risk assessment, Um, but there's other other resources on there as well um, that you should definitely check out because that committee has been very, very active in getting resources made specifically for registrars and collection specialists.
1: Fantastic. Anything else? Any other promotables?
0: If you have an emergency, reach out to the National Heritage Responders. It's a twenty-four hour manned phone line. Look at the sticker up there. <laughs> <laughs> like if you go to culturalheritage.org, there's a phone number listed on there. Um, make sure to reach out to them. Basically, there's a lot of stuff out there for emergencies, so don't feel like you're alone um reach out to us we all love talking about them lots of faces on the screen we love talking emergencies we love talking about places to help so if you have anything reach out to any of us and we'll make sure to put contact information um, on youtube once this is done
1: yep spread the word like wildfire
0: <laughs> Does anyone else have any last minute thoughts <laughs> well thanks for joining us john do you have anything else you want to add
1: Yep, uh everybody please uh don't be afraid to hit that subscribe button so you can get uh, notifications about any of our upcoming chats and other uh art arcs uh programming that's going to be happening um as usual we'll put out the podcast version of this on the friday after this coming friday uh and you can find that podcast anywhere you get your podcast notably spotify stitcher Apple, Google. <laughs> I don't know why it, uh, it, it costs me every time. Anyway, and uh, and don't be afraid to look up uh, uh, our institutions here, FAIC, AIC, ARCS, of course. And uh, with that, I think we're going to wrap it up. Thanks, everyone, for joining us and uh, spending your, your time today and your, sharing your expertise. Yeah, indeed.
0: Thank you, everyone. We'll see you at the beginning
1: Thanks. of June. And see you soon. Bye. Take care. Bye.
4: Please take Please care, and care, care and stuff. stay safe.